Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 20th begins now. On today's show, Ben welcomes back editor of Jacobin Magazine, Micah Utrecht. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and if you like columns from Ben Jarofsky, just make sure you head on over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Farewell Ed Burke Thursday, and here's why. Well, it's Thursday. That's part of the reason why. But the other part of the reason is that uh, yesterday, the city council bid farewell to Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke. He's been the mayor. Oh, the mayor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The mayor of the 14th Ward since 1969. Uh, Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke. It was actually just the last day of the session of this four-year session. It was also Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's last day in the city council. And you know, folks, I often say that the Chicago City Council reminds me of a high school cafeteria. I've said this so many times, I've written this, it's just like, uh, it just, it it doesn't have to be the cafeteria. You know, I mean, the cafeteria is the easiest thing to visualize in your head. If you could go back to your high school days, the cafeteria, the cool kids sat over here. The mean girls were over there. The jocks were over here, you know, and it all depends like who's the cool kid. You know what I mean? The cool kid whole thing, the whole notion of what a cool kid is in a cafeteria high school really varies so much as to what group you're in. You know, you may think your group's the cool kid group and the other group thinks, oh, my God, I wouldn't go anywhere near them. I was under no illusions that I was uh, in the cool group in the high school. I was in the White Sox fan club in high school, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I do not run from that. That's where I was. I was a member of the White Sox fan club. If you look up my picture at Everson High School, four years, White Sox fan club. Proud of it, too. Anyway, so Chicago City Council, they bid farewell uh, to Lori Lightfoot uh, and to Alderman Ed Burke and a few other aldermen. And it's so weird. It's like they're overwhelmed by emotions on this last day. And it reminds me of high school on graduation day, where suddenly everything you feel about these people, that most of whom you hated or many of whom you hated, go out the window. And it's like you just you have this nostalgia because something's passing in your life and you already miss it, even though you're kind of glad it's over. You know, like they write in you. They probably all were signing each other's yearbooks. They had yearbooks. K-I-T. B-F-F. K-I-T. Keep in touch. I didn't know what that was until I was... <laughs> some kid wrote K-I-T. I'm like, what the hell is K-I-T? Anyway, so they're all feeling sorry. It's like that song. 
Uh, I was I was expecting him to play uh, that song uh, so hard to say goodbye to yesterday, which is a song that I've heard at so many graduations, middle school graduations uh, here in Chicago, an ancient song from the 70s. I actually think it was redone in the 90s, uh, but I know the 70s version. And so, you know, they play that song uh, and the kids are just streaming tears. And that's what it was like in the city council yesterday. Raylo gets up. Alderman Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward. Like the MAGA man on the 15th ward is sobbing like, my Lori Lightfoot, I love you. I'll miss you. You made me a better alderman. And I'm like, where's the Raylo who said, fuck you, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. That's my Raylo. Oh, he's out the window. How about uh, my good friend Carlos Ramirez Rosa getting up to pay homage to Tom Tunney? <laughs> Come on, Carlos. Ben, I'm going to say something nice about Tom Tunney. You mean Tom Tunney, who said that Lori Lightfoot lost because she neglected the north side by paying too much attention to the west side and the south side? That Tom Tunney? But the one that just got to me was just the reverence for Ed Burke. Very wild, weird sense of nostalgia. I, I to me, Ed Burke represents pretty much everything that's wrong with Chicago politics. Inside political deals, racism, tribalism, heavy emphasis on law and order as a response to absolutely anything. He was on the wrong side of pretty much every single significant issue in his, how many years has it been? Let me do the math real fast for people, 30 and 22, is there about a 50 something year career. He is like the poster child for everything that went wrong during Harold Washington's term, an embarrassing moment in the history of the city of Chicago that everybody's either trying to rewrite or forget as we recreate it. And yet there they are. Bowing down to him. This is the man who has the chair of the finance community co committee use that position of power to force people who were getting contracts from the city, who had to go, who had to go through his committee to get the approval on those contracts, to hire his firm to do its property taxes. And there they are. Oh, Ed Burke, we're going to miss you. Oh, Ed Burke, what contributions you made to the city of Chicago. I'm like, this is embarrassing, guys. You know, you just got to let it go sometimes. Just let Ed Burke slink off. By the way, he's under federal indictment. And he's under federal indictment. And they're like, oh, Ed Burke, we love you. <laughs> Come on, city council. I know it's like a Stockholm syndrome thing. I know you're sitting in that council chamber day after day, hour after hour, and you just kind of break down. And you suddenly love the one you're with old song from way back when as a brother song uh but you know it's just gone too far if you're going to revere ed burke while he's facing federal indictment and i gotta it's here's the other thing about chicago chicago is so freaking weird no no I, guys I, I i know i know i get in trouble every time i criticize chicago micah is uh, sitting by he's all ready to level me okay all ready to level me for shaming chicago voters i know it's coming micah i know it's coming but chicagoans you are a weird people i'm just saying this so follow me on this you elected lori lightfoot to a large degree because her opponent tony preckwinkle this is in 2019, 
was aligned with Ed Burke. You said, this is it. We must break from these old, these old corrupt ways of doing business. The machine is dead. We will never have a Democratic machine again where powerful committee chairs get to shake down Burger King's <laughs> operators, force them to hire their property tax firms. Remember you said that, Chicago? And that's why we're electing Lori Lightfoot. Fast forward four years, the city council is weeping over Ed Burke's exit. Please stay, Ed Burke. We love you, Ed Burke. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, Chicago. You're so freaking weird. You like say one thing on Monday and forget it all on Wednesday. Oh, my good. And, you know, here's the thing. Lori Lightfoot owes her career in a bizarre way to Ed Burke. So she should have been the one doing the testimony. I just want to say a couple things on behalf of Alderman Ed Burke. Thank you for being corrupt. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been elected mayor in the first place. The city of Chicago is already, they're already done with that. I guess you guys are done with the cleanup corruption part of the let in the light regime of Lori Lightfoot, huh? By the way, unmentioned, curious uh, omission, in my humble opinion, uh, in yesterday's sobbing, I love you, Ed Burke moment uh, in the Chicago City, City Council. No one mentioned Danny Solis. Danny Solis was the alderman of the 22nd Ward for years and years, excuse me, 25th Ward for years and years and years. Uh, and he stepped down four years ago, just kind of disappeared. I remember when he announced he wasn't going to run for re-election. This is how fraudulent Chicago politics are. Michael, you'll get a kick out of this. Mayor Rahm said, uh, when, when Danny Solis, 25th Ward Alderman, announced he wasn't going to run for re-election, Mayor Rahm said, you know, what a great ally Danny Solis has been to me. What a great servant he's been for the people of the city of Chicago. And he just wants to go spend more time with his family, with his grandkids, et cetera, et cetera, so forth. And thank you, Danny Solis, for your service to the city of Chicago. Then it comes out, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, uh, Danny Solis has been wearing a wire for the feds who are investigating Burke and Madigan. He's not stepping down because he wants to spend more time with his family. He's stepping down because, hello, <laughs> he's about to come persona non grata. <laughs> you know, it's not anything about stepping down to spend more time with his kid. Yeah, it's sanctimonious testimonials for Danny Solis. Again, if anyone has done anything to clean up corruption in the city of Chicago, it is Danny Solis. He should have been the beneficiary of the weeping and the hosannas and the thank yous and the tributes. Oh, he's long forgotten. Remember what, when that story broke that he was wearing a wire? The alder member like, what a rat. How do you spell rat? S-O-L-I-S. <laughs> That's some city you got, ladies and gentlemen. City of Chicago, man. One you of know, the Ben, One I got to say, cities in the world, Micah, take it away. Go I, uh, you know, I moved away from Chicago shamefully a year and a half ago. But when I talk about local politics, so, you know, with people in New York City, where I now live, I have multiple times brought up the Solis story and I, I bust out the um, uh, what's the legal, the documents that they that they released related to the trial. And I just read to them from the transcripts about the stuff that Solis was accused of, you know, the the, the well, I can't even remember all of it now, making deals in exchange getting access to massage parlors and viagra and just yeah. the most bizarre stuff people are like wow there's some wild stuff going on in chicago over there they they, they love hearing those stories from uh, from back home well no really what it says is that uh, alderman can be purchased for a relatively low price 
so essentially, uh, the the, uh, the allegations about Danny Solis was that like, hey, you know, uh, get you some Viagra. Uh, and yeah, it's some uh, sexy masseuse. And he's yours. He, he'll, he'll carry the water for you. Anyway, Michael Utrecht is my guest, uh, ace writer and editor for Jacobin, longtime Chicagoan. But he said, I'm, I'm so sick of this town. I'm going to New York City. Uh, I'm, I'm taking my talents to New York City. And uh, he but you were in town just a couple of weeks ago. I saw you on TV, uh, Mike. You were in the backdrop. I, I already told you this at Brandon Johnson's victory party. And uh, it's like, he's back. <laughs> it's he's back. I think it's appropriate that you come back for Brandon Johnson's um, victory party because your coverage of the Chicago teacher strike from 2012, I think it was, yeah, 2012. Uh, the book you wrote about the Chicago Teachers Union in many ways is sort of like foretold the story that led to Brandon Johnson's triumph. So it is appropriate, no matter where you live, you could live in Alaska. It would be appropriate uh, to, um, to bring you back to talk about Brandon Johnson's triumph and how it's connected uh, to the teachers union. But before we do that, your thoughts about Lori Lightfoot's legacy. Well, it seems like part of her legacy is that she opened up the space for Brandon Johnson to become the mayor. I mean, she clearly, no, no, nobody I've heard out there has anything particularly, I mean, she, she was clearly a failure as a mayor, right? Like the, the only one term, couldn't even make it into the runoff in the uh, recent election, couldn't uh, do politics on the most basic level couldn't uh, secure you know much support for her agenda on the uh, city council was needlessly antagonistic towards everyone around her uh, especially uh, and most importantly the Chicago Teachers Union uh, which clearly taught her a bit of a lesson and not taught everyone a bit of a lesson uh, in this most recent election that uh, the, the CTU is a very powerful force that uh, can respond to provocations uh, in kind uh, and even get one of their own elected as the mayor of the city of Chicago. But if the city of Chicago had elected a uh, maybe more somebody who was a little shrewder as a politician uh, who was better at knitting together a coalition that could back her up, uh, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation where we have a Brandon Johnson who's about to take office as mayor. But uh, because we didn't have such a person, uh, that, that is definitely one of the uh, parts of Lori Lightfoot's legacy. Yeah, no, I, well, I, I've said this so many times and I'll say it again. Uh, the reason Lori Lightfoot uh, did not make it to the second round uh, for the runoff was because she alienated Willie Wilson day one uh and uh willie wilson took away what was it roughly 20 percent of the vote in uh in black wards that probably would have gone to lori lightfoot so uh there's no doubt in my mind that was the unforced error that she made i say it over and over again and it gets to what people talk about uh her tone deafness when it comes to politics i think brandon johnson is significantly different just as a human being uh, than Lori Lightfoot. And you know this. Folks, you go back. I'm going to start. I'm going to go back and take an old um, show that I did from about four years ago with uh, Micah and Brandon. We're on the show back in the days when we were in the studio. 
And uh, if I didn't plan it this way, Mike, I, I don't think I planned it this way, that you guys would both be in the studio at the same day. And you had a debate, Bernie versus Elizabeth Warren. And people who think that um, Brandon Johnson is a, a radical lefty ought to listen to that debate. Because if you want to hear a radical lefty, listen to Micah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but my, added, uh, my thought is that Brandon is, um, just much more of a conciliator, uh, than a Lori Lightfoot. Uh, and so your thoughts on this general topic? Well, he certainly, that's true. He also just brings a different vibe to the mayor's office and to the city of Chicago. I mean, since his winning election, he's clearly worked to project a sense of optimism, a sense of positivity um, that, that is in striking contrast. I mean, of course, Lori Lightfoot ran on bringing in the light uh, and, and tried to project that herself. But if you watched her speak, you watched her operate, you read the quotes from her in the press, it was never that kind of sense of optimism and positivity. You, you watch Brandon, he's, you know, he's beaming uh, every time he's in front of a uh, camera and every time he's out amongst the public. I mean, he, he, he projects that sense uh, that there are brighter days uh, ahead, and he also, as you as you mentioned, is one who is better. I mean, you know, he was he was on the show with me, disagreeing with me about uh, who should be the president of the United States, uh, and uh, we, you know, we've we've maintained a relationship uh, since then. He's he's done interviews for Jacobin despite uh, our disagreements on that topic. So uh, he, I think he'll definitely. I mean, really, you you'd be hard pressed to find a worse uh, conciliator than uh, Lori Lightfoot. So, but I, I think Brandon will be uh, better at that, despite uh, putting forward an agenda that if it's going to be enacted, will require doing battle with some of the forces that are, you know, that control the city of Chicago, doing battle with, uh, you know, the real estate capitalists doing battle uh, with the police union, potentially. I mean, there, there are going to be fights that are going to come up during his mayoralty. And if his mayoralty is going to be successful, uh, he, he can't just be a conciliator. He will also have to, as the CTU has done repeatedly over the past decade and a half, uh, pick a fight with uh, those kind of forces and be able to defeat them. Yeah. All right. Let's uh when you when you went down that list, two things popped into my mind, like already the coalition going against uh, Brandon Johnson, the real estate industry, the restaurant industry uh, and the fraternal order police. Uh, that was the coalition that essentially backed uh, Paul Vallis uh, with larger corporate interests as well and right wingers uh, and Republicans. Uh, and they will be united every step of the way, I think, to a certain degree against Brandon Johnson. Uh, he could probably uh, win over some members of the the restaurant lobby. Uh, if I think they're probably the one he may be able to slice off, but the rest, they're going to be against him from day one. It's going to be a, a, a chorus of negativity that he's going to confront. Uh, he will have to deal with um, it, it, the talking point questions fired at him uh, from uh, I'll name the sources, uh, Crane Chicago Business, Chicago Tribune Editorial Board, uh, and uh, more of the older conservative baby boomer journalists in this town. So uh, it will not uh, be a cakewalk by any means uh, for Brandon Johnson. And there will be parallels to the reaction that Karen Lewis got uh, in 2012 when she uh, led the teachers on the strike against Mayor Rahm 
and the anguish that that caused in corporate uh, Chicago. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit? You wrote the book on the subject. Talk about the uh, the roots of the movement that uh, led to Brandon Johnson's victory. Uh, that's a book that I interviewed one Brandon Johnson for in his home in uh, 2013, actually, on the west side of Chicago in Austin. Um, yeah, so the the CTU is really a special organization in the American labor movement. I don't know if this is obvious to people who live in Chicago and who have lived in a Chicago where the CTU has really been playing a prominent role in politics, especially over the last decade and a half. But what's going on in Chicago is a rarity. Uh, it is not happening in almost any other place in America at this point where you have a teacher's union that has become so powerful, that has become so powerful pushing a broad progressive agenda that is not, in their own words, not just for themselves and for their members, but for the entire Chicago working class. Uh, and that has had success in doing so, that has gotten to the point where they've elected one of their own, a, a former classroom teacher uh, to the uh, executive level in the city. This uh, is the result of a group of teachers taking over the Chicago Teachers Union in 2010, uh, the Caucus of Rank and File Educators, of which Brandon Johnson is a member, got an email uh, right after he won the election from CORE that said, uh, congratulations to CORE member Brandon Johnson on his election as mayor of the city of Chicago. Um, so this group of teachers, uh, some of whom were kind of left-wing types, others who were less political, but were just pissed off that they felt like their union at the time was not defending them from all of these attacks and budget cuts that were happening against public ed education in the city of Chicago, uh, got uh, mad about that fact uh, and ran in an internal election within their union to uh, win the leadership and to do unionism differently, to do a kind of democratic unionism that engaged mass numbers of the members, uh, rather than just relying on the people at the top of the union hierarchy to handle all of their problems for them, that actually like treated the union as a movement that, that needed democratic participation from its thousands of members. Um, a union that was willing to go on strike, of course, most famously in 2012 against Mayor Rahm Emanuel at the time, uh, and that has ever since then continually gone on strike uh, multiple times, has uh, organized charter schools. You know, charter school teachers are now members of the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, and those charter schools, uh, several of them have gone on strike over the years. Uh, and the CTU has built itself up into being the left-wing pole of politics in the city of Chicago. I mean, that they are the kind of sun around which the rest of that constellation uh, orbits. And that includes other unions. It includes uh, progressive community groups. And this is a, again, a real rarity. I mean, it's it's a it, it has a genuine social movement feel in the city of Chicago. Um, and the CTU has done a lot since 2010. But this election uh, was obviously the biggest test that the union has had so far. Could they really like you know bet the entire house uh, within the Chicago Teachers Union on being able to elect this guy? one of their own, who you've been able to, if you've been in the streets over the last 13 years, if you've been to picket lines, if you've been to marches against school closures when Rahm Emanuel closed 49 schools in the city of Chicago, um, any you know, anytime you've seen the CTU members uh, in the streets, you've seen Brandon Johnson there. He is uh, very much a product of, a participant in and a product of those struggles of the past decade and a half in the city of Chicago. And uh, the union elected him mayor. So 
that's an incredible thing uh, that the union achieved. It is not the kind of uh, thing that happens uh, every day. I, you know, student of labor history, I don't know of a comparable election where a union militant, a union rank and filer uh, has become the uh, the executive of uh, certainly of a major American city. Uh, that's just what what's happened here. So there are a bunch of, you know, problems uh, that, have going, that are going to arise with this. It's very difficult. It's, 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 you know, it's not easy to elect somebody like Brandon Johnson to mayor, uh, but it's even harder to actually govern in a progressive way and be able to fight off the kinds of forces that you were just describing, corporate forces and all the rest of them. Um, so we're going to get into that much harder uh, part of, of everything now. But I just wanted to start by emphasizing that what's happening in Chicago is a it, it, it's very uncommon and it has the potential to set an example of what progressive municipal governance could look like for the rest of the United States of America. And how do you think it uh, actually came about? Like what were when you look at this last election and uh, where Brandon uh, made it to the runoff uh, and then beat Paul Vallis, uh, what do you think was the factor or factors that put him over the top? Well, there's never one single factor in, in any election, uh, but you know some of it is clearly tied up in the figure of Brandon Johnson himself, who is a very charismatic figure, who is black, which of course matters in a city that has incredibly racially polarized uh, voting uh, patterns in uh, decades. Um, you know what we were just talking about with Lori Lightfoot. I mean, all of those all of those things matter, but it's very clear to me, um, you know, you can read the reporting that's come out about this. I saw it myself when I was in Chicago, that the kind of organizing operation that both the CTU has built in which they have a real grassroots army of members who go out and spread the gospel of what the CTU is trying to do. You know, they, they, they take the message to the streets and if there was any doubt that they have a formidable canvassing operation, communications operation, and, and, and have an ability to actually win over mass numbers of Chicagoans to their program. I mean, we sh people should have learned this lesson when they went on strike in 2012 and they the, the multiple polls showed that the overwhelming majority of working class Chicago backed their agenda, despite the fact that they were being put out at that very moment by the fact that the teachers were on strike. So the CTU itself uh, has, has built an incredible grassroots army of people. Um, and then they've built this broader uh, movement that you know, there's, there's other unions and other organizations that are you know, in their orbit uh, through the United Working Families you know, in, in terms of politics. Uh, and then also, you know, I spent uh, a lot of time uh, observing what was going on at United Neighbors of the 35th Ward, which is Alderman Carlos Rosa's organization. I mean, he wouldn't call it his own organization. It's a it's a, uh, a ward based community organization that um, works closely with him, um, but that that similarly has a genuine massive grassroots canvassing operation uh you go to the 33rd ward rosana rodriguez sanchez uh the alderman of that older woman of that ward similar thing i mean you, you these people there because there is a genuine grassroots social movement feel uh to what's going on if you go to these places you will see huge numbers of people uh, you know, showing up to canvas for Brandon Johnson, as I saw when I was there. Uh, you, 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 and so that kind of 
grassroots movement operation uh, can do amazing turnout and can uh, also get somebody, you know, it can, it can do such amazing turnout uh, that can it can overcome being outspent by Paul Vallis two to one in this election. I mean, this is the fruit of what has been built uh, with, uh, you know, of course, community organizing efforts that existed before 2010, but like they've all come together and cohered uh, around the CTU over the last 13 years. And this election was certainly the, the fruit of all of that, the most spectacular fruit that we've seen so far. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting point you made at the end there. Uh, this is so wild. Um, demonization is a word that's being uh, kicked around town a lot uh, based on some comments uh, that Brandon Johnson made this weekend. Uh, regarding the mayhem in the loop over the weekend, which we've talked about extensively on the show. I urge everybody to check out the Mark Sims conversation from Tuesday, uh, especially, and then yesterday's with Tonya Hill and Monroe Anderson. But um, so I, the notion of the demonization of the Chicago Teachers Union is, um, how do I put this? I, I've, I've watched it in action, Micah. It's really picked up. Uh, in the last, I would say, five years. I think it really began with, well, you could go back to the, the teacher strike of 2012, but Ken Griffin and Bruce Rauner picked up on it uh, when it, Rauner ran for governor in 2014. He was strongly anti-union. And if you go back, there's an interview uh, on, this is where I first became aware of Rauner, on Chicago Tonight, it was Jesse Sharkey from the Chicago Teach from Core, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Bruce Rauner, and, and Bruce Bruce Rauner was just denouncing the Chicago Teachers Union right in front of Jesse Sharkey, uh, and um, I believe that was like the centerpiece of his campaign is his anti-union rhetoric. Of course, it was the downfall of his regime, but it was also the centerpiece of his campaign. Kenny G, Ken Griffin picked up on it. Mayor Rahm picked up on the anti-union rhetoric. Uh, Lori Lightfoot embraced it. She said she wouldn't, but in 2000, as soon as she got elected, she just became a war of words with Stacey Davis Gates uh, or at the, the Chicago Teachers Union. And now it's just a mantra that it's just like, all you have to do is say Chicago Teachers Union and you've like summarized everything. It's like when... If you say Trump or MAGA for for me, you know, for the other side, it's like Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, and, and so, like, if you read the mainstream media, they talk about the powerful Chicago Teachers Union, the astonishing 2.1 million that they invested in Brandon. You would think that Brandon outspent Vallis. I'm like, wait a minute. It was the other way around, two to one. Why isn't why is it the corporate class, the powerful corporate class? <laughs> why, why isn't it the astonishing $12 million they raised for poor Ballas? I'm like, man, up is down and down is up in the city of Chicago with the demonization of the Chicago Teachers Union. Your thoughts, Michael? I think everything you said is true, but clearly didn't work very well. Brandon Johnson is going to be the mayor of Chicago. So I guess that demonization really didn't catch hold at uh, the neighborhood level in the city of Chicago, given that they just voted for Brandon Johnson to become mayor. And that's just been the story of the CTU. This is, they think that they can defeat this union 
uh, by demonizing them, uh, by, by saying the kind of stuff that you just mentioned over and over again in the mainstream media. And it continues not to work. This is the astonishing thing about what's happened in the city of Chicago, that the, that the CTU keeps upping the ante. They keep, you know, they, they go on strike. They, they, they're, they're pushing for taxing the rich. They're pushing for all of these things. They're uh, running one of their own for the mayor. And they keep winning. And it doesn't matter what the corporate class is willing to spend against them. It doesn't matter if they're willing to outspend them two to one. They cannot beat the bottom-up democratic mass movement that has been built around the Chicago Teachers Union because they're pushing for things that people actually agree with. They say we need to live in a city uh, with affordable housing. The people, the working class people and poor people are getting kicked out of the city. We need to change that. We need to, uh, affordable housing needs to be something that we push for in the city. Uh, they say that you know, you know, black and brown children in this school are going to school in inferior conditions and that that, that needs to change. Uh, they, they are standard bearers for this social justice agenda and they have put it forward. They're not shy about it. They're very open about what they are trying to accomplish in the city and around the country. Uh, and the city of Chicago hears that and keeps saying, hey, that sounds pretty good. I, I think I'll, uh, you know, I think I support what's going on. I think I'll cast a vote uh, in favor of such a thing. I think I'll tell a pollster that I support what the CTU is doing. I mean, this is this. I can only imagine what it's like being a Bruce Rahner or whatever member of the corporate class who's writing these huge checks uh, to people like Paul Vallis. And you're used to just being able to write checks to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish in the world. But in Chicago, these the corporate class keeps coming up against the fact that they cannot defeat the genuine mass people power that the Chicago Teachers Union has marshaled. And is there a model of a lesson that could work in other cities from this? Or do you think this is only in Chicago movement? This could, I mean, this is precisely what's going on in Chicago. I'll just say from a personal perspective, I mean, I am somebody who I used to be a union organizer. Uh, I studied the labor movement in undergrad and in graduate school. I spend probably more time than is healthy thinking about the labor movement. And I do so despite the fact that for decades now, the American labor movement has been in serious decline. Uh, and so you might be like, Michael, why, why do you care so much about these dang unions? Like, why don't you just like, you know, go move on. Dude, these, these, nothing, not a whole lot is happening in the labor movement. And it's precisely because this is what the labor movement can accomplish when it gets its shit together. Like the labor movement truly has the power to transform the world. It has done so throughout American and world history, and it can do so again. And so you need other cities could very easily I mean, it wouldn't be easy, but like you, I mean, look at a city like Los Angeles, like they, their teachers union in many ways has replicated the CTU playbook. They've made their union into a fighting force that has uh, got a broad working class agenda that isn't just about getting a pay raise for their members or better benefits for their members, but is actually about a broader social movement agenda. And they've succeeded. They've gone on strike. They've, they've joined other unions, uh, an SEIU local that the United Teachers of Los Angeles just joined uh, in a strike just a couple of weeks ago. So I think that, you know, in order to create a movement that is as large as the one that has been built in Chicago and that has the potential to do things like elect somebody like Brandon Johnson to mayor. Um, you you do need, it, you can't just have unions be a part of it, but you do need unions because unions have 
real resources. They are resources, you know, all of the the several million dollars that the CTU gave to Brandon Johnson uh, was money that comes out of uh, CTU members' pay, uh, paychecks that they pay in dues. Like this, th th this is what, you know, unions, unions can build buildings, they can, uh, you know, influence elections, they, they can uh, have boots on the ground. I mean, like, they have real resources that can allow you uh, to transform the world. So other cities, there's there's no reason why other cities shouldn't be looking to what has happened in Chicago and trying to replicate that model. In Chicago, that model includes this group of teachers who were not happy about the direction that their union was going, said that their previous leadership was corrupt, was paying itself too much, was you know too buddy-buddy with the boss, you know, all of those things. And so they then had to run within the union uh, and, and advance a different uh, vision of what the union could be about and then take it over and win an internal election. You know, there are many cities where that is something that has to take place before you can have a, a kind of fighting union like the CTU is. But there's no reason that other cities around the country can't advance a similar model. And there's no reason that teachers unions in particular can't be at the center of those kinds of transformations in a city. I mean, people like teachers, people trust teachers. You know, before the CTU went on strike in 2012, the right and parts of the Democratic Party were all in on this agenda to try to demonize teachers, you know, saying that teachers were at fault for uh, what well, some of the educational failings uh, in, in public schools in America uh, that, that claimed that teachers unions were too powerful and all of that. And it, people didn't really buy it because people like teachers, people trust teachers. You know, parents, the millions of parents across this country put their children in the hands of teachers every single day. And they understand that these are not people, you know, evil money grubbing people uh, who became teachers because they wanted to line their pockets with the fat paycheck and pension. I mean, they know that the people who go into classrooms are people who actually care about the well-being of their students. And so, you know, teachers are respected uh, throughout much of American society. And so it makes sense uh, that you could create a broad progressive coalition that includes other unions, that includes parents, that includes community members around a teacher's union that's advancing that kind of progressive agenda. That's what's happened in Chicago and it could happen anywhere. Yeah. I know. And it, uh, I, I remember the, the difficulty with which uh, in 2012, uh, Mayor Rahm and his allies uh, attempted to attack the Chicago Teachers Union. I remember Proko Joe, uh, your favorite alderman, uh, former alderman of the first war, just teasing uh, he's not really his favorite alderman uh went on i think it was on fox i can't remember which outlet but it was a national outlet and he said i like teachers but i just don't like their union and i'm paraphrasing i'm almost laughing well, what do you think the union is it's a bunch of teachers uh <laughs> i never thought of that then um so uh, yeah it's a it's uh it's a challenge i get what you're saying they want to vilify teachers they've been doing that uh and and by the way i hate to say it down because you were you were part of it, okay? Just saying, man, you guys bought that line. Arnie Duncan, Barack Obama, <laughs> all the rest of you bought that line uh, back in 2010 with Waiting for Superman, which is like porn for Dems. Um, which is a movie that I'm the only one who remembers. Maybe Micah remembers it as well. I do, uh, yeah. Uh, but in terms, I just want to uh, push back a little bit on what you said. Union dues will never match Penny G's checkbook. And uh, so, yes, you'll get Crane Chicago Business and the Tribune and, and the Sun-Times to, to talk about the astonishing money <laughs> of the teachers' union. Uh, 
but in reality, they were outspent two to one. And uh, labor has people, they don't have a lot of money. Now, in an automatic race, they can make a difference, perhaps. Okay, they have more money than uh, just your average Chicago alderman who doesn't have access to corporate Chicago. It's not Ed Burke, right? Speaking of uh, Chicago alderman, but um, by and large, the uh, the left will always be at a disadvantage when it comes to spending money in a campaign. You're not going to outspend the left. I'm not talking about liberals. I'm not talking about Barack Obama or Joe Biden. I'm talking about the left. And I know you, Micah, know the difference between a left and a liberal, but a lot of people don't. You know, you've been, many times I have to explain to some Chicago, and you know, you're talking about liberals, which are different than lefties. Uh, so the left can't rely on money. It's going to, the left needs true believers who will go knock on a door and, you know, I'm thinking of Keith, shout out Keith. Uh, and, I actually do believe that's a point that should be taken away from this, that the money helped, obviously, uh, but I mean, by all conventional standards, they got whooped on the money part, correct? Oh, yeah, 100%. But, um, you know, you can you can pound the, the battlefield with money from the air uh, if you've got an unlimited amounts of it, but... I don't I don't know what the ratio proper ratio is, but like that money can buy people to hand out palm cards and put, you know, uh, little door hangers on your door. Um, but like when the people who were with the Brandon Johnson campaign went out on the doors, they would be speak. They were volunteers. They were speaking from the heart about why they uh, I mean, I, when I was observing what was going on at the United Neighbors of the 35th Ward when they were running a, a canvassing operation for Brandon, there were, there were multiple people who were there who uh, talked about canvases uh, going out and canvassing and saying to people, yeah, I know Brandon Johnson personally. He's been there uh, for the different fights that we have waged over the years. Uh, and they talked, you know, very much from the heart about what his uh, campaign meant to them and why they were backing him. So, you know, you can't. You, no amount of money can overcome that kind of like true believer missionary zeal that people bring to a campaign like the Brandon Johnson campaign. Um, and, and that has been built over the years um, from waging a series of fights, uh, not all of which the CTU has won, of course. I mean, Rahm Emanuel did get away with uh, closing 49 schools. Um, but they, through those those years of struggle, there there are a, a huge number. There's a grassroots army of people who have been a part of those struggles for a decade and a half, and can and go out and speak very credibly and movingly uh, about why they're backing somebody uh, like Brandon on the doors. And and clearly in this election, we saw that that can beat the power of twice as much money. All right, uh, let's move away from this election. I gave you a homework assignment. Uh, which you were so patient and nice. Hey Ben, can I just before we move on, just one one last thing I want to say before we move oh. on from Brandon, which is that I, you know, I, I've just been saying rah rah, you know, this is this amazing thing that's been achieved in the city of Chicago, and that's definitely true. But now we're getting to the point where uh, you see the kind of forces that we were talking about: corporate forces, big money, the police, real estate industry. Others are going to be pushing back against what Brandon Johnson is up to or says he wants to be up to and this is a crucial moment where the union 
needs to not make the mistake that many left elected officials like Brandon Johnson have made in the past, which is that they turn all of their energies and all of their thoughts to how to govern, and they forget what led them to power in the first place, which was engaging at the grassroots level uh, with community members, with union members. Uh, the, the, those people still need to be engaged. There still needs to be a kind of mass democratic engagement of uh, the the members of the of the CTU and the members of the movement that Brandon has built, because that is what you know, you would hear Bernie Sanders say this all the time. He would say, "If you get if you elect me, do you think that the the pharmaceutical companies are going to just allow us to institute Medicare for all? No, there's going to be uh, a huge pushback, you know, and enormous amounts of money spent on my uh, agenda to try to do that. And so we need." a huge movement to be able to push back against that power of big money. And so um, I I haven't read any reporting about what the Johnson administration is planning on doing on that front or what the CTU is planning on doing on that front. Uh, we had an event at the hideout where I asked Stacey Davis Gates this question, and she said that she wasn't planning on uh, demobilizing anybody. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if there are there are concrete plans in this in this uh, front that are being cooked up right now. But I think that will be an essential thing uh, to actually enact Brandon Johnson's agenda going forward and to be able to counter the attacks that are already starting to uh, shape up against him. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, uh, look, the guy hasn't even been sworn in yet, so I'm hesitant to uh, <laughs> make predictions, uh, talk about things that haven't happened yet. But, uh, okay, there's a certain telltale size. One is the consistent uh, blowback that's been going on almost from the moment he was victorious. The quotes, it's like a continuation of the quotes that Brian Hopkins gave the Sun-Times uh, and uh, Brendan Riley gave the Sun-Times, mainly Brian Hopkins, uh, from the Paul Vallis headquarters about the communists taking over. It's just it's just been playing out continuously. Uh, and then, you know, the, the law and order refrain from um, Saturday's disturbances. And, uh, you know, it's just I, I see it coming. I just... Uh, I, I lived through council wars. I mean, I, you know, it's funny, Micah, I talked so much in his campaign about, oh, how this reminds me of the 1983 first round, how it reminds me of the 1983 mayoral second round, how it reminds me of the 1989. I mean, everything that happened in this last mayoral election reminded me about something histor historical, uh, a parallel from the 80s. And now I'm getting ready for council wars. And I don't know if it's going to play out the same way with two factions of the city council or battling it out or Mayor Johnson doesn't control the city council. I don't know if it's going to play out that way. But essentially, council wars, the, um, the corporate Chicago used uh, the white backlash against Harold Washington as a cover to try to force him from making progressive changes. And uh, they were able to, you know, they're use Ed Redolak and Ed Burke that, that same Ed Burke, who was honored by the city council, got a standing ovation by the city council, just saying, folks, uh, they they use those guys as the front men. So I know what you're talking about. There's a lot of financial interests at stake here. There's a lot of divvying up the pie is at stake here. Uh, and I also know that Brandon Johnson is going to make a lot of compromises that are going to irritate people like me uh, and uh, lefties. I know that's coming. I know that's coming down the road. So if you're the CTU, do you mobilize people to support Brandon Johnson even if he makes a compromise that irritates lefties? It's a it's a challenge. Because you just said it yourself. You said it yourself. Nothing like this has ever happened before. The left has never elected one of its own 
mayor of a large American city. And so now, as the mayor of a large American city, there will be compromises. I guarantee it, ladies and gentlemen. And I feel that Brandon Johnson is kind of like a guy who does not mind compromises. And <laughs> it's going to be interesting, you know, uh, to think, see, like, I'll be complaining uh, and the Tribune editorial board was less responsible. They'll never give you. By the way, Brandon, they will never give you a break ever. Okay, <laughs> but you get my point. It's like the left's going to have to figure stuff out. Like uh, we love this guy, we're friends with this guy, we've been with this guy, you know. But can we criticize him? I remember this 1983, where 84, 85. Uh, Michael, when Harold Washington cut the deal with the White Sox to keep the White Sox in town, this is way before your time, and it, they had to demolish uh, a community on the south, uh, a uh, public housing uh, low-rise low rise complex got moved for the new White Sox stadium. And I remember lefties, yeah, there were lefties then, ladies and gentlemen, being like, oh, I was one of them, oh, you know. But Harold was like, hey, man, I don't want, I don't want to, be the mayor who loses the White Sox. Do you follow? They'd be giving him so much grief over that, Micah. So this is something else that's going to happen. Like the left, what's the left going to do? Is the left just going to wave the flag for Brandon Johnson, no matter what he does? Or are they going to split from him on issue to issue? Your thoughts? Well, the only way to know any of that will be to see it play out in time. But um, it, everything you're saying is 100% true i mean obviously if you're going to be uh, a, a mayor or an elected official of any kind like the name of the game it involves making compromises but you know he ran on a transformative agenda i mean he 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 ran on an uncompromising uh, agenda in many ways i mean not in a sort of obstinate way but he was very uh, uh insistent about you know telling a story about a Chicago that looks very different. Uh, and he's a member of a movement uh, that has insisted, I mean, as Rosano Rodriguez said on your show the other day, they knock on people's doors and they say, hello, would you like to live in a totally different kind of society? I mean, they say, you know, Rosano is emphasizing that they, they are trying to put forward a different version of the world than the one that we currently live in. And so that kind of uh, promise, that kind of program didn't turn people off from voting for him. In fact, it seemed to get them, uh, at least some important number of them, excited to vote for him. And so if, if he moves too much in a conservative direction, uh, then he will lose the support of uh, people on the left and people from, uh, you know, th th those kind of like CTU rank and file who uh, believe in that uh, kind of program. Um, and so uh, it, it's it's always a, a, a dance with these kinds of things. But um, yeah, it certainly will not be the case that he can just make compromise after compromise and that people will just stand by him. I mean, he will lose uh, the kind of grassroots excitement that propelled him into office uh, if he does too much of that. I think, you know, I was reading about, um, I was reading the Tribune's coverage of uh, the DNC, uh, the, the, the Democratic Party's announcement that the DNC is coming uh, to town soon. And, uh, you know, it, there are some people on the left who would probably say, oh, Brandon Johnson is bringing the, the Democrats to town, the, the sellout neoliberal Democrats. He's going to bring uh, Joe, but, you know, they'll have a whole thing about uh, what, what, why that is the thing that, that shouldn't be done. We should be instead protesting the Democrats or whatever. Um, I, th I, I 
I just don't think that that is a realistic thing that Brandon Johnson could have done. But what he could do is use the, the coming of the uh, DNC as a way to say, uh, this cannot be the kind of event where we bring these folks to town and it, we're then cracking down on homelessness in a, an authoritarian way, or we are gentrifying neighborhoods. I mean, he could use uh, the coming of the DNC uh, to push for better affordable housing programs and anti-homelessness programs in the city. I mean, he what will make for an effective Brandon Johnson mayoralty is not that he's going to reject every opportunity to host something like the DNC, but that he uses those kind of moments which past mayors in other cities, and including the mayor of Chicago, uh, have used to push a pro-corporate agenda. He can use those events to try to push a more uh, working class agenda that benefits uh, the vast majority of Chicagoans who are suffering under things like a lack of affordable housing. Uh, all right. Uh, and uh, like you and I both said, let's hold off on criticizing the guy <laughs> or calling him a sellout until he does something uh, one way or the other. Uh, all right. I gave you a homework assignment. And uh, so before the show began, Mike and I are having a delightful conversation, which in many ways I wish we just taped that one because it was pretty funny in many ways. Uh, but one of the things Mike revealed in the conversation with me uh, is that he doesn't waste his time uh, reading. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't waste his time reading like mainstream uh, libs, neolibs. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. You got to know what the enemy is up to. Okay. They're, they're sending out intelligence reports every day. You got to read the intelligence. Reports. Okay. What was the last time you read a Chicago Tribune editorial? Go. Well, okay, the Chicago Tribune website is frankly unreadable to me. I don't have a subscription. So I regularly, if you're asking me how often do I open up Chicago Tribune web pages, it's on a fairly regular basis. And then I open them and they're like, oh, my God, I can't read this. It won't let me in. So, yeah, you know, not very often. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, I, I'll get... Far more regular reader of the Sun-Times, I'll say that. All right. Uh, they're... Okay. Um, so... Uh, all right. I, I may have exaggerated a little bit what he said, uh, but uh, so I made him read a Brett Stevens column. And we love making fun of Brett Stevens on this show uh, because Brett Stevens is one of those right wingers who's embarrassed by Trump. So he pretends as though there's a difference between him and Donald Trump. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like a nuanced difference. Essentially, he pretty much supports everything Donald Trump uh, stands for. I can't recall him making a significant opposition to any initiative that Donald Trump uh came up with uh but uh he wants to distinguish he does he's embarrassed by trump's antics so uh this because he's like a, he's like a republican who shops at whole foods like those types are embarrassed by donald trump you know wow that's a great line God, i'm gonna use that line i'm gonna just steal that line republican who shops at whole food that's a good line go for it it's all you i just came up with that on the spot man. this is why you have me on the show uh will i give you credit i don't know 50 50 um so, <laughs> all right so here we go uh and th th i'm reading this one because this is um these are talking points uh dealing with the issue of law and order crime in the streets uh and in uh policing issues uh and this is a sort of a chorus that um will be uh in the face of Brandon Johnson from the moment he's sworn in. It's already starting uh, to throughout his administration. Uh, and so, in other words, uh, it, this is a way to identify the left as a force of chaos. This is very Trumpian. This is why I'm saying there's really no difference. Like, anyone who has any alternative view to just locking up <laughs> large numbers of people 
and then sorting them out later as to who is innocent uh, and who is not innocent and giving them a payout going, oops, my bad, uh, which has kind of been law and order uh, in the city of Chicago for as long as I can remember, will be denounced uh, as what? Uh, a radical leftist who wants to destroy our country and make the streets unsafe. The same thing they used against Harold Washington. They just didn't have the radical leftist part of it. So this is the opening of Brett Stevens' column in yesterday's New York Times. Two years ago, a white Chicago police officer fatally shot Adam Toledo, an unarmed 13-year-old Mexican-American with no criminal record, while the boy was complying with the officer's orders following a late-night foot chase. The killing brought greater awareness to police brutality in Latino communities, yet no charges were filed against Stillman. Since then, Chicago has been able to turn a corner on violent crime, thanks partly to investments in after-school youth programs. Murders are down by 20% from two years ago. That's one version of the event favored by the progressive left. Another version goes like this, and then he goes on to talk about uh, the his version of what went down. That, to me is classic and it's, it is just so dishonest and I'll, on many levels but i'll tell you the level that it's most dishonest on which just like tr as the millennials like to say uh triggered me this notion that th that view that he put up that straw man view that he put up is a version favored by the progressive left i don't know any lefty and i know a ton of lefties in the city of chicago who would ever say that uh, in the last two years, there's been a significant uptick in investments uh, in after-school youth programs. I don't know any lefty. I know ton. Of, I just had Sam Holloway on the show two weeks ago, Micah, my dear friend, who is leftier than you. Okay, he's the leftiest lefty I know. He would a millionaires never say anything so ridiculous. I can't, This is what Brandon is going to be up against. This kind of dishonesty. You know, there's not Lori Lightfoot to the to the to Fox country to Fox Nation was the epitome of a radical leftist, <laughs> and they are literally going to substitute Brandon for Lori. And it's so freaking absurd because there's not a lefty in the city of Chicago who would think that Lori Lightfoot is a radical leftist. There's not a lefty in the city of Chicago who would applaud Lori Lightfoot for her spending in after-school programs. There's no one, no one on the left who would say there's any correlation between the murder rate going down in the last year and anything Lori Lightfoot's done on social front. And yet he puts that out there. So it's easy to win a fight when you've just manufactured the position of the other side. And that's what I'm saying, Micah, the dishonesty, just the utter dishonesty of, I don't know, everybody left of center, I mean, right of center, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't have a rat rational discussion with them because they either don't have principles or they completely distort whatever it is you stand for. I had to get that off my chest. I force you to read uh, this column so you would see what the, the right is saying about Chicago. Your thoughts. Well, clearly the memo has gone out in national media that this is going to be what they try to uh, impale the Brandon Johnson mayoralty on here, that 
that and this is no secret i mean they they've said this pretty openly if you look at right-wing media figures in the national level there they've been pumping this message out there uh you know brett stevens just brett stevens got the memo i guess um and uh yeah i mean there's a million things you could say about it i mean for one thing like one of the main things that Brandon Johnson ran on was uh, investment in uh, youth employment and, and other kinds of investments in young people uh, that he said would be essential to being to addressing the root causes of uh, violence and crime in the city of Chicago. So uh, he ran on that because he obviously thinks that there's not enough of it so far uh, that that nobody believes that there are you know, on the left believes that there's enough investment in that kind of uh, uh, social programming for young people. But, you know, it is, uh, they've been beating this drum the entire time. They beat this drum during the campaign itself, and it, it didn't work then either. I mean, the you had the head of the Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago talking about blood running in the streets uh, if Brandon was elected mayor uh, and, you know, mass re resignations of Chicago police officers. And that wasn't enough to convince people not to vote for Johnson either. So um, there's clearly an appetite in the city of Chicago among its voters for an alternative approach to uh to public safety that Brandon has articulated that he just does, he, you know, he, he, he made very clear to say that he was not advocating for defunding the police, uh, but he did believe that we need to make uh, some different kinds of investments in things like uh, mental health counselors in social programs for young people and jobs for young people. All of that is going to be uh, essential to uh, bringing down the crime rate under uh, a Brandon Johnson mayoralty. It's an experiment, not, you know, I don't know of uh, anybody who's really tried this on a really large scale um, to try to bring down their uh, crime problem. But it is, you know, there's there's lots of research that shows that just throwing money at police departments uh, and to get more police officers out on the streets does not solve the problem of crime. I mean, crime comes from inequality. There are there are structural reasons that crime happens, and it's not solely because there are a bunch of evil people who out there who like causing mayhem in the streets. I mean. People who are poor commit crimes because being poor sucks. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm a socialist, because I don't want people to live in the kind of misery that, among other things, drives people to commit crimes. So, um, you know, Brandon took a real risk in campaigning the way that he did on these kinds of issues. Um, and there's, as we see, there's no... Uh, there's no vacation period. He's not even in office yet, and they're already blaming him for like what happened in downtown Chicago the other day, <laughs> which is kind of a bold move. Uh, he's not the mayor of Chicago yet, but he's still somehow responsible uh, for this. Uh, which also the the reported um, the reporting coming out from yesterday that uh, a woman who uh, took two people who were beaten in downtown Chicago to uh, a precinct and, and um, says she was told by the officer at the desk that, you know, this is all because Brandon Johnson was elected the mayor of Chicago. Uh, so I, I don't envy Brandon Johnson in, in how he's going to uh, to deal with this. It's clear that there that this is going to be one of the most important issues that he is going to wrestle with. And these are the kinds of forces from the police to the right-wing media, the mainstream media that are going to try to sink his mayoralty on the question of crime in the city of Chicago.
Yeah, well put. All right, uh, we'll close down, do some promotion. Uh, any articles you want to alert people to? Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, as always, every time I'm on your show, you know, I you, you always introduce me very graciously as a, a writer, but I'm really not very much of a writer. I spend all day being an editor at Jacobin, and we publish a lot of great stuff on uh, jacobin.com, including a piece that we published a few weeks ago uh, about Brandon Johnson and the kind of things that he's going to be up against, uh, the, the kind of the, the conversation that we've been having this, uh, this whole hour here uh, called Brandon Johnson won in Chicago. Now his movement will have to beat capital strikes. And if you want to know what capital strikes, you can read the article to find that out by Kevin Young, who's a sociologist. We're going to be publishing a lot in Jacobin about the Chicago experience. We've uh, covered it, uh, in my humble opinion, closer than any other national outlet uh, out there talking about every aspect of what the CTU has been up to over the last decade and a half. So uh, come come on by jacobin.com, J-A-C-O-B-I-N.com. Uh, you could also read, if you wanted, uh, a quick uh, piece that I wrote on election night for the nation uh, about the Brandon Johnson uh, mayoralty called the movement that made Brandon Johnson mayor of Chicago. That's at thenation.com. All right, Briggs, you are a writer. All right, we'll close with this. Uh, something you told me about, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, it's, today is uh, National Reefer Day. Uh, I'm always barely aware of that. Uh, and um, <laughs> Barely aware because you're celebrating? Or you're... <laughs> you know, here's the talk. Here's the reality about me and Reefer. I talk so much about it, and I haven't done it since roughly the Reagan administration. But I just great fondness for people who do. Uh, and you told me something. I'm going to make fun of myself. I never heard of this before. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to act like I heard of this before. All right. Uh, your dream blunt rotation. And when you told me that, I'm like, what is that? And then you explain, yeah, well, that is a pen. <laughs> you had that calm measured uh, cadence that all millennials have when they teach me about something I should know about, like when I teach millennials about Dion Warwick. Uh, and so you told me that's like your dream group of people to smoke a joint with. I'm like, oh, my God, that's fun. How come I never heard of this? And I wrote down, like, and these are my friends. Like, so I just immediately, like, the first thoughts. So I guess what you were saying is, like, people in history, you know, like the New York Times in their book review section, they always go, who would you like to have dinner with? They ask some author, and they go, well, I'd love to have dinner with Shakespeare and Dickens, you know, whatever they try to impress you how smart they are. But I just thought of my friends, like, people that I really enjoy. So I'm going to give a shout-out to my dear friends, my brothers, Milo, uh, Monroe, uh, and Norm Dunbar, and of course the late great Norm Van Leer. That would be my my. That would be my boys, man. We would just have so much fun. We'd be talking sports and music and having a great time. So that's my uh, dream rotation. Your dream blunt rotation, young Micah. Oh wow. Uh, well, you know, I'll say number one in the rotation. Ben Jarofsky. Gotta have Ben Jarofsky in the in the drink blunt rotation. <laughs> love love to smoke a blunt with Ben. One of these days, Ben. It's legal in Chicago. <laughs> Come on. Next <laughs> time I'm back. Illegal illegality of it. Then. Anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh man, who else? Like, oh, well, James Baldwin. I got to put on there. Uh, big fan of James Baldwin. Uh, you know, at this point in history. I don't. I I doubt he's smoking weed. He didn't have time for it. But it'd be, I would love to have Brandon Johnson in the mix. I would love to have, let Brandon Johnson just have a minute to process everything that he's been up to. And you know who I would pair him with? 
is Salvador Allende, the former socialist president of Chile, who was overthrown in a CIA-backed coup in 1973. Somebody who, like Brandon Johnson, came to office on, on, the, on the wings of a left-wing movement, uh, working-class militancy, but uh, had his uh, presidency sunk by the kind of pushback that came uh, and you know, that led to multiple, multiple decades of dictatorship uh, in Chile. And then that then led to you know, uh, a famous Chicagoan by the name of Milton Friedman coming to town and uh, instituting this kind of far-right austerity economics. So uh, let's see. Oh, no, that, that's terrible gender balance there. Uh, that's all men that I've listed. I would, you know, and then my, my, uh, my nightly dream blunt uh, rotation partner, uh, Melanie Cruvelis, my girlfriend. She would bring a great, great presence to the, the whole discussion there. So there, there you have it. Uh, yeah, mine wasn't very gender balanced. Although that when when you were on that list, I go, you know what? I don't even. I w- it would be a lot of fun to have Karen Lewis in that mix. Man, Definitely. So much trash. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe be more than four. You know, it's like Mount yeah. Rushmore. They always try to get me that. Ben, who's your Mount Rushmore of basketball? I go, well, there's five people on a team. There's only four people on Mount Rushmore. Now you only want you only want four people on that. Yes, Ben, it has to be four. So I don't know. Rules are meant to be broken. Well, I listen, you know, I was just uh, I took a weekend to go to Michigan when I was in Chicago for Easter to visit my family. And there's also legal weed in Michigan and they got dollar uh, pre-rolls there. So, you know, we can have a lot of people around the blunt rotation. We can buy come bring a couple uh pre-rolls from Michigan and only a dollar. We'll have a huge blunt, dream blunt rotation. You know what I wish? I, I told Micah this already. I wish our pre-show conversation had been recorded because you would have heard my hilarious attempt to place Michigan on the map uh, and explain. <laughs> I was just flabbergasted, Ben. Honestly, you're you're you were asking me if if Ohio is due east of Michigan. Have you have you ever looked at a map and seen that the state of Michigan is surrounded by water on west, north, and south? Or, no, excuse me, west, north, and east. It all began when you go, you were on, from the West Coast of Michigan. And I go, well, there is no East Coast. You go, Ben, Detroit, ever heard of it? Uh, and uh, it was all downhill from there. Uh, whenever stuff like that happens, I blame it on my dyslexia, which I've battled my entire life. But uh, whatever, it's, uh, it was pretty funny. It's like, and then I try to visualize the map. Oh, God, my dear friend Mick Dumkey would be so upset with me because, you know, he's he's from Michigan. He loves Michigan a little too much. Uh, and uh, although you notice he doesn't live there. Uh, and so <laughs> it's like my friend Tony with a T. Oh, I love the Cleveland. I love it. Yeah, you live in Chicago, Tony. You love Cleveland so much. You live in Chicago. Anyway. Uh, you just remember it looks like a hand. Yes. <laughs> And and the reason it looks like a hand is because there's water, you know, all around it. That's so that's how it stands out on the map. You know what? That's really good. The mitten. It's a mitten, Ben. And here's ben, the fun. I cannot be the first person to tell this to you. You're so fixated on Chicago that you have no clue what goes on just a couple hours uh, northeast of Chicago. I, I which my knowledge of Chicago is the city of Chicago and then the suburbs of Evanston and Skokie. Okay. <laughs> and that's pretty I kind of know Oak Park and will met a little bit, but uh, I got this weird thing about Oak Park, which will I'll save for another time. Man, you guys are so lame in Oak Park. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Micah, thank you so much for uh, taking time for your business schedule to come talk to me. And it was uh, it's just, just a delight to hear your voice. Uh, the great Micah Udrich, he's uh, he's in New York City now. We're going to bring him on to talk some New York City politics 
a mini obsession of mine, Eric Adams in New York City, as a contrast to uh, Brandon Johnson. That would be an interesting conversation sometime. So thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Always happy to be on, Ben. Also want to thank producer Chris. You did an outstanding job, as you always do. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Don't forget, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And find more from the Ben Jarofsky show on social media and all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.